Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you are all well. I hope that all is well in your world and that no matter what is going on around us, we can somehow find some peace and some sanctuary in the faith that there is a greater power that is above all else and the same power that guides the sun and the stars and the moon is guiding us innately through our hearts. Now, we never really know what anyone is going through. We can sometimes think that we know someone by looking at them. And as human beings, we tend to form judgments, rightly or wrongly. It's a fact of human nature to look at things and see them as we think they are. But the reality is probably far from the truth. It takes time to understand another human being, and we can learn so much from each other if only we didn't judge. And instead, if we could look with the eyes of compassion and love and see that every new person as someone who has been sent to us for us to learn something from, because there will always be people that know more than us and there will always be people that know less than us and vice versa. And that's why I am really, really happy to have my next guest here today, as this is an absolutely remarkable story of the human spirit. And it will definitely, you know, leave you to contemplate life and to really look at people differently and with more compassion, for sure. Now, my guest is Mark Clark. He is the founding CEO of The Walk to Freedom. He came from a violent home to a life as a career criminal, and finally ended up having to struggle with the challenges of drug dependency for more than 20 years. He suffered in many ways, sometimes finding himself in prison or on a psychiatric ward. And finally, Mark found freedom during an intensive 16-month rehabilitation program, which led him to discover a passion to draw upon his experience so that he could help others. 
And then subsequently, Mark's research and training led him to working alongside drug and alcohol users and to develop a pioneering approach to recovery, which he's going to share with us today, as well as his incredibly remarkable journey. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Mimi. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Ah, I am very, very happy to have you on. Thank you very much for joining me. You know, as I said to you earlier, I'm very excited to have you on because I love what you do. I love what you stand for and how you are really making a difference to so many people's lives. So tell us a little bit about this um, life story of yours. Okay. So um, if I start with my family background briefly, mm-hmm. um, I was born into a West Indian family. Uh, my mother and my father were of the Windrush generation. I always like to say that um, my, 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 far, my, my mum loved us, but my dad just beat us. And that was his way of love. Um, because we grew up in domestic violence on me, my um, other, three, other three brothers, and uh, I'm the baby. Mm. And I seem to have been the only one out of all of us that it, it, it kind of manifested different behaviours with. So growing up back then in school, um, having to manage that, I was the lovable rogue. I was always getting in trouble, but never enough to get expelled. I, I used to just act out my behaviours to just cover up what was really going on at home. But no, nobody ever asked me, you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you this way? You, you know, back then we didn't have the social and childcare services that we have now. Mm. So the, the, the biggest social childcare service I had was one day my, after going to the doctors with a fractured arm by my dad, um, him saying to my mum, if this happens again, I'll call the police. And that was it. So we just, we just lived with it. And I, and I think even back then, I learned to put on certain masks to just protect myself and, and, and not let anyone in. So as I evolved through school, um, it was like, Again, this just lovable road, never really settled down to anything. I left school with no exams. I uh, tried to work, but that didn't work out for me because I got fired from one job because I was left-handed. I got fired from another because I was working too hard. So for me, I, I look back in reflection now and just say, I never tried hard enough. But for me, that was it. If I'm getting fired for these things, what's the point? But during that time, I used to hang around with guys that were a lot older than me. So by the time I was just going back a bit, I was about 13, 14. I was already smoking weed. I was already drinking. And I was hanging around with these guys as I got older. And uh, there was just this day, because I always have these moments in my life that are sort of life defining so this one moment was when I was sat with one of the gangsters from the area in his house and he looked at me and he said look in this country 
you get paid 12 or 52 times out of 300 and odd days a year. And he says, they take most of it before you even get it. And then he looked at me and he pulled out this big wad of money. And he said to me, you see me, I get my money every day. And that was quite motivational. <laughs> I, I, I can actually believe you there. Yeah. Mm. That was quite motivational to me. And it was roughly from there, even though looking back now, I was actually groomed back then, but it wasn't the kind of grooming that you see today. I, I was groomed into living that lifestyle. So, by these there, gang members, by these gang gangsters. Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. they themselves were career criminals. I know I asked you this, yeah. but I'm going to ask you again, just for the listeners. Can yeah. you explain what a career criminal is? Okay, so a career criminal is like committing crime is your job from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed. All you're doing is wheeling, dealing, planning, executing. Some days you put on a balaclava and you go out and get some pocket money um, from your bank or two. But that was your life. Mm. You, 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 you had a network um, of people for different things. It was like I was a bit like an Arthur Daly. If, if you wanted drugs, I could get you drugs. If you wanted credit cards, I could get you credit cards. If you wanted jewellery, I could get you jewellery. If you wanted cars, I can get you cars. If you, if you wanted me to collect debts, I'll collect debts. So I had my own little network of different sources of income. The go-to um, place, so to speak. Sorry? You were the go-to place. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I was the go-to guy. Um... But obviously, with that, occupational hazard would be that sometimes the local constabulary uh, would want to take me off the streets and have a word with me. And sometimes they will decide that I need to go to a little holiday at Her Majesty's pleasure. That so, little hotel, yes. Those little hotels, yeah. Mm. So, you know, all in all, I've done around eight, nine years behind the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's how my life was. Um, yeah, go on, sorry. And, and from what age, Mark, um, did that start? And to what age did it finish? What was the, you know, actual time span of, you know, that particular okay. career? So that particular career took mm. me from about 15, 16 years of old. old. Because back in the day, I, I was one of the youngest people out there doing what I was doing. Because, because even though nowadays you see it, it's a younger man's game, back then it wasn't. And I was one of the youngest guys out there. Because I, excuse me, because I always moved around with people who were older than me. So, excuse me. So that took me up from 16 to hold on, what we now to about 30. So a long time. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But like during that time, 
Um, I, I was living the life. I, I, I was living the life. Um, I, I, it's kind of funny. I kind of work the same kind of hours I do now because back then I made sure I only worked three days a week. <laughs> and now Hot I still only work. Yeah. And now <laughs> I only work three days a week. <laughs> but three and a half, actually, three and a half. But um, so that was that life. And, and, and everything that came with it, it the violence, um, the, the, the women, the money, everything. D during that time, I had my first child where I, I, wasn't a, I wasn't an active father. So, yeah, that was just my life. I, 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 I played, I, you know, shamedly cheated. I, I, did, I did all what that lifestyle brought with it. Was it, I know this, this might sound like a crazy sort of question, sure. but in a way it gave you power, I suppose. In a strange kind of way. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it gave me a name. It mm. gave me a reputation. But the funny thing about it was, I didn't want the reputation of somebody who's violent. I didn't want the reputation of somebody you would have to fear. I, 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 that's what they used to kind of call me sometimes. They used to call me the good guy. Yeah. But don't ever get on the wrong side of him. So my motto to people was, it's better you keep me happy. But, you know, they say this, you know, and life has taken me to some interesting places, like most yeah. of us. And they say that, a lot of people leading this type of lifestyle, let's say, and that are particularly good at it, um, are very loyal and yeah. they really are loyal to their family, their friends. Yeah. And if they like you and you become part of their inner circle, they yeah. actually uh, would defend you to the end. Yeah. So there's a lot of somehow, in a strange way, I know, mm. they, be, they are honourable to their closest. Yeah. While leading this sort of unhonourable life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I will, you know, again, it's all stuff I've repented over and turned my life around from. You know, I, I, I did hurt a lot of people. You know, it, it, I did hurt a lot of people either physically or I did hurt a lot of people emotionally, like in relationships and things like that. Um, but I, I know that what I did with the violent stuff mm. was perpetrated because of the deep conceited anger I had towards my dad. Yeah, yeah. Because growing up in any form of in a childhood, let's talk about childhood. Yeah. You know, our parents somehow, we sort of idolize them in some way. And mm. we never like to think that they're doing things wrongly, but we forget they're human beings with their own issues, yeah. and their own past. But especially with domestic violence yeah. and, you know, domestic abuse, it is really detrimental to the children mm. 
And yeah. it depends because every single person deals with everything differently. And yeah. anger, I mean, I know a friend of mine and she was involved with somebody who was like yourself in that yeah. um, line of work, let's say. And um, he became very violent and lived many years abroad and ended up in a Moroccan prison for about 10 years and you know with scorpions and all sorts of things but he's a tough cookie he lived to tell the tale but that was also coming from somewhere of domestic violence where he was beaten you know profusely every single day so it's not an excuse I know but it's a reason you know there's a lot of reasoning behind why we as human beings suffer isn't it yeah oh definitely Definitely, you know, it it allowed me to understand how far I could push myself to do what I wanted to do. Because I knew that my anger, if I let it go that far, could allow me to take someone's life. That's scary. Yeah. Mm. Don't worry, the button's diffused now. (laughs) I'm all love. (laughs) No, no, no. But it's scary, you know, because I think we all have that line, you know. There's a line between, you know, when we're angry or if someone that we love is in trouble or someone's attacking them. I think Mm. we have the capability to cross the line. Of course we do. Of course we do. You know, I think we all have that. We all have it, yeah. Um. But what was the, what made you, what was the transformation in your life? Was there a single moment? Was there an epiphany that you had that made you turn your life around 360 degrees? Well, before the epiphany, Mm. there was the suffering. Okay. Because what happened was, so we're talking about the, um, 80s going into the 90s. Mm-hmm. And and during the 90s, when I was out there, I, I was taking every, every single drug in the party scene you could imagine. From cocaine to ecstasy to muff, you name it. I, I was taking all the party drugs that were out there as well as smoking weed and drinking. I suppose you could get hold of it easily, couldn't you? Yeah. Mm. It was readily available to me. Mm. So during that time, so, so when it came to drugs, I, 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 I was more to the import, export and supply side of it, more mm-hmm. than the street hustle. And so during that time, crack cocaine become, started coming on the scene in a massive way, you know, because I was predominantly around the weed scene. Mm-hmm. So... As crack cocaine started to come with it, I, I started seeing the money was a lot quicker as well. Very, very fast money. So one source of income became the supply of crack cocaine. And I did that for a little while and obviously my money increased, everything increased. And on one fatal night, which I call the beginning of the end, because I was always one of those guys 
yeah, I don't touch them kind of things there. I just prefer to smoke my weed. <laughs> and on one fatal night where I was partying with two, excuse me, with two women, okay? Mm. And one of them asked me, because they knew what I did, they said, have you got anything? And I said, well, I don't really do small bits, you know. But then the other girl, her friend, who somebody I was actually sort of seeing, well, I was like, oh, come on. She's not long come out of jail, you know. Da, 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 da. So I said, all right. So that night was what I call the beginning of the end because it was the first time I ever took crack cocaine. That night? And was, yeah. And, and, and it was literally within a blink of an eye. I lost everything and I lost everybody. It, it happened so rapidly. You know, the consequences weren't because you can go so long when you're, when, you're, when you're being introduced to a certain drug, you can go so long without, without any consequences, um, especially if you've got the money. But because I'm an all or nothing kind of guy, mm. um, when it came to taking crack cocaine, there was never enough money and there was never enough crack. You know, my, 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 my consumption of the drugs was just endless. And how much, how much was it costing you, for example? Wow. Um, whatever I had. I, I, I know that there's been nights when I've done 2,000, 3,000 over a couple of days. You know, that then filters over to when I've got no cash. And, I'm, and because I'm just sitting around doing drugs and days are becoming nights and nights are becoming days and I'm not doing the business I'm supposed to do. And when I'm supposed to do things, you know, it, it doesn't work out. Everything starts falling apart, you know. So then I begin to sell things. Um, and then you're always the last one to notice how bad it is. People keep telling you, what's happening with your business? People that, you know... Um, you would always pay cash up front for, you're ticking it from them, and then you're not paying back. Let me say, all just began to fall apart. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of money. A lot and of is money. that the nature of that particular drug that does yes. that to you? It's, it's very Moorish. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very Moorish. I can go into the science behind it, but that would take too long. Um, but it so, has huge devastating effects because of this. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's it, a quick, it's a quick spiral down. Very quick. So mm. during that spiral down, because of the kind of people that I were around, if they knew you were taking hard drugs, you would become a liability. Oh, okay. And, and it would be most likely, as I've seen myself, you you just end up becoming heads and hands in a bucket so wow one, one i found out someone someone then introduced me mm. to heroin because it became the antidote to the crack how do you mean that so because um crack cocaine is a stimulant okay so so it's 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 the high the heroin you needed, you needed a low to bring you back you down again. The low, and the heroin did that 
okay? And, and mm -hmm. even though I was taking it in a, a little joint or whatever, whatever, at that time, um, it, I, 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 I now know it's not the amount of heroin you take, it's that you take heroin that gets you addicted physically. So, I've heard of that. I he I've heard of that. Yeah. So during all this time, you know, um, I lose everything. My friends are gone. I, I don't see my daughter. I have another child. Um, so long story short, it, it, it took me to being a seven and a half stone addict, eating off of the streets, um, living all up and down the UK, because I'd always run away, um, steal someone's car, meet a girl, steal her car, rob her house, run away to somewhere thinking, if I can get away, then I, I'll be all right. But I keep, I, it didn't, I didn't realize back then that all I'll be doing is taking me with me. Yes, wherever you go, you're there. You're you going to take that same mind. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'd have these moments of clarity where I would stop and then think, we're right. I'd get into, a real, I'd get into a relationship, which brings on a certain amount of stress, which then puts you back into a relapse. So, so that's how my life was revolving for about 10, 15 years. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how you are still alive. Well, I, I say this to my clients mm. who I work with, because I work with vets offenders, children who are at risk of gangs and everything. I tell them this, psychology teaches you this, that if you continue to walk this negative road of gangs, drugs, this, that, and whatever, that's the only possibilities your life will go. It will go to either drugs, addiction, imprisonment, um, institutions, unemployment, or death. And I tell them, I am the one person you meet who's had them all. Because through my addiction, um, I was sectioned um, due to um, suicidal depression. I was also in prison. I was unemployed. I had two heart attacks because of an overdose I took. And I, I, I hit nine minutes, unable to be resuscitated. At 10, they call it quits. So you nearly died, in but effect. I died. You died, <laughs> and you came back. And then I come back. I did a Jesus on them. I came back. Yeah. Right? Um, so I always tell young people, you about, I'm not the only person you're going to meet that's been there. So that's what my life was like. Um, but my mum, who I have to bring in here, who's a great woman of faith, she always used to tell me, you know what? And, and, and she actually lived my life as well. My mum said to me, Mark, I live the consequences of your life, but I don't even get the benefits of the high. Because she would always come to the prisons. I would always be robbing her. One day she walked into my bedroom and when I was injecting, a needle was on the floor and it went in her foot. She went through all of it with me. And she said, only God can help you. So I came to this point where I had a choice to make because I was now fed up of being fed up. There's a lot more to it, 
So you eventually have to wait till the book or the film comes out. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the book. <laughs> I, 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 I came to this decision in my life. Mark, because I, I've, I've had tons of suicide attempts, tons. And I always used to be upset if I come out of it. I'd be like, and I always used to actually say, do you know something? God really better have a purpose for my life. Because if I get run over by the bus, I will be really upset with him. Because this must mean something. So I had this choice to make. There was an opportunity to go into residential treatment. Or... I could take a little journey somewhere, go into a field, dig up a gun, and blow my brains out. So I thought I'd give the treatments a try. <laughs> oh, and what made you decide on the road of light, so to speak? So. So this is where I have to kind of bring faith into it. Please do. So, so I've always believed in God. I've, always, I've never not believed in him. I just believe that our relationship has evolved. And the place I was in um, was faith-based. It was called Team Challenge. And it was one of the most difficult things I'd ever done in my life because it was a voluntary. And this one night, just not long after I got there, they had this nice little garden bit. And, and, and it was a clear night, moon and stars out, everything. And I stood under his heaven and I looked up and I went, all right, God, I'm going to give you your shot. I, I am going to serve you. I, I am going to do what I believe your word asks of me to the best of my ability. I'm going to give you your shot. Because the Bible does say we must boldly approach him. <laughs> so okay, so you did. And I've never looked back since. And what was that moment that you realised that there was a chance to do God's work? Throughout my treatment, there was even, even while I was doing my own treatment, there was a crying my heart for the people that were with me. Because I, I always used to be the guy that when someone was leaving, I was in that room with them, trying to talk them out of leaving because I knew where it was going to go. Hmm. Even when in the same place, I became a volunteer and a member of staff, anytime someone was leaving, I would be the guy that they would send in. Now, I'm not saying all the time, you know, people came back, but there'll be times when we're in the room, come back out, yeah, he's staying, he's staying, he's staying. Times, they, they always used to make me drive them to the train station. Um, and then sometimes I'll come back with them. 
So there I knew I had a kind of calling to help people who were like myself. Because what I realized at that time was the team challenge, because it was all Pentecostal and charismatic and this and that, it wasn't for everybody. And um, people would leave. You know, I think when I first walked in there and I saw people praying in tongues, falling out on the floor, I think for a second, this thought crossed my mind. Are they selling drugs in here too? But now I know it was the power of the Holy Spirit, you know? Yeah, yeah. So during that time, I, okay, so during that time, I attended, um, they had a school of ministry that you could attend. Um, and this is where you'd gone to um, have, you know, the, re- yeah. yeah, okay, the rehab. Yeah. Okay. So they had a school attached to it where mm-hmm. you could become a minister. So I thought, why not? But it taught a lot more things. It taught counselling, Christian psychology, it taught neuroscience, it, it taught epigenetics, it taught, it, it spoke a lot of things. Mm. Um, so what happened was, I realised that every single one of my notes that I still have today was geared toward the user. Because months before that, I was trying to read Romans and I just couldn't get it in my head. I just couldn't understand it until that time God helped me to understand it. Because I think it's Romans 7 or 8 where he says, for I do the things I don't want to do and the things I should do, I don't. And I went, that's an addict. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, you know, after talking with God, the Holy Spirit, I drew this line out of it, which is one of the strap lines of, the prod, of our program. Why do I use when I don't want to use and when I shouldn't use, I still do? Right? That mm. is what is on the mind of every addict. So what happened was, um, I, I did the school of ministry, I became a member of staff, and, and what happened was, um, I had the opportunity to do a global internship. Um, and I said to God, right, send me where others fear to tread. So I think I'm going to America, maybe Australia, something <laughs> like that, because they've got ministries all around the world, Team Challenge has. Yeah. So God sends me to Kazakhstan. Really? Yep. I've been there. Really? Yes. I've done all that Central Asia. Oh, wow. I, I was there I was there in 2010. I think I was there in 2008. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It was so difficult to get a um, visa, I have to say, because really? we did the whole of Central Asia. Oh, yes. right, I see. Yeah, yeah so, you know, yeah. when you've got stamps of certain places, then it's difficult to get other yeah. places. But Right, okay. Pray do tell more. Yeah, so I was in Almaty um, in a small little village called Kalkamon. Mm-hmm. And 
um, while I was there, I got thrown in the deep end. I taught English. By that time, I was already preaching. Um, and it was just an amazing experience. Because prior to that, I said to God, do you know what, God? I want to go somewhere where people just live by faith. That's what I want to see. I want to see faith in action. And when I went to Kazakhstan, I saw it. I would, I would visit orchard orphanages, the, the, the centre that I worked at, and, and all the rest of it. You know, I, I would be like, so how do you not kind of run the place? And this is what the common word would, we just live by faith. We just trust God. That's all they said. That was it. Not we got grants, not the council's paying. Or anything. <laughs> Their spirit is different. Their spirit is different. I wanted some of that. Mm. I wanted some of that. So after a while of living in Kazakhstan, um, I think... You know when God wants to move you because he will just sometimes make everything around you uncomfortable. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Like the, He'll pack your suitcase for you even yeah. before you're re you realise that you're going somewhere. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. So, come that time, um, I knew it was time to go back to the UK. Mm. Um, so... <laughs> The book will straighten all of this out. So there was this morning when I was like, God, you know, if I'm going back to the year, because what actually happened was, because I was a bit of a rebel in Teen Challenge, they basically said to me, because I thought my life was going to be in Teen Challenge, right? Mm -hmm. But they, Teen Challenge, basically turned around to me and went, you can't come back. Your time oh. here is finished. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that went on around my going. Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to drag that out. Um, it's fine. But, but um, so, yeah. So, I couldn't go back home. I couldn't, because well, Team Challenge was my home for five years. Okay, so, for, so quite a long time. Quite a long time. Mm. So what happened was, um, I, I, I got into a relationship with someone, okay, and, and during that time, actually, I became a bit of a serial um, engager. Because <laughs> oh. during Casanova. that time, <laughs> yeah, not no, not Casanova. I'll, I'll be straight honest with you, if I may. Of course. Right. Because I was now walking as a man of faith and I'm doing the Christian thing, and this is the honest truth, and I've repented over it, I only really and truly wanted to get married as a Christian because I wanted to have sex. Right, okay. And, well, that's and, a good reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so because that was going on, I was, I was, I had a relationship on the go. So I remember the morning I was getting, I was, I was going to either stay or go. I was walking around talking to God, I'm like, but God, you do know I am going back to go and live with someone unlawfully. <laughs> so I'm like, God, if you're going to stop this, 
you can stop it anytime now, but that's the only place I can go. And where was this place? Back in the UK? Back in the UK, living in Newcastle. Okay, so from Kazakhstan to oh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to Newcastle. Um, we were together about eight months, got married, and we were only married for seven weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, it, it quickly fell apart. But during that time, what happened was, I went to this meeting, um, an a, a NA meeting, because um, I was doing a bit of voluntary work, and I went to this NA meeting, and... What's NA this, meeting? What does oh, that mean? Oh, so it's Narcotic, Narcotics Anonymous. Okay. So it's, like, it's like groups that they have where they do shares and they do a 12-step program and so forth and so forth. Like it's, Alcoholics Anonymous, is that like the same Alcoholics principle? Like Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah, exactly the same thing, yeah. Okay. So I was going to that and, and because like my recovery was completely different, I, was, I never ever said, hi, my name's Mark and I'm an addict. I, I just don't believe that. Okay, so, but when I was there, I, 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 my heart broke. Why? Because I thought to myself, there's got to be more than this. And I remember going home one night and crying my eyes out to my partner. And I was saying, there needs to be something different when it comes to recovery. I saw what I saw in Teen Challenge when it came to um, Christianity and recovery and people slipping through the net because it was just too intense. And I, and I look at NA and AA and I, and I see the same thing. I look at NA and NA and I think people are keeping their recovery through fear. It's fear-based. Again, I'll tell you about that another time. Um, and then God said to me, no, 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 sorry, what happened was, hmm. one day I was stood in a sandwich line and my friend who was with me he turned around to me and he went, Mark, this film, this line from this film keeps going through my head. And I feel I need to tell you. And he had an Irish accent. And he went, Mark, build it. And they will come. <laughs> <laughs> so what did he say? He said, build it and they will come. It's from Field of Dreams. Oh, I like that. Yes. And at that time in the Bible, I was studying Nehemiah, who was also doing similar work. So after sort of seeking God about it, it, it through Moses, he said, look in your hands, what have you got? And I still had all of my notes from when I was in the school of ministry. Oh. And as I went through it, I realized I had a program. I had a recovery program. I always tell people this. That's you know, amazing, actually. Yeah. It's one of I, those moments, isn't it? Eureka moments yeah. where it's all suddenly there in front of you. There in front of me. But it took for the Holy Spirit to teach me how to lay it out. So for about five, six of those months that I was in Newcastle, 
mm. from about 10 o'clock in the morning until sometimes five, six o'clock in the morning the next day, I was putting this program together. And my partner at the time, she would proofread it and so forth and so forth. And then at the time of us breaking up, my mother got ill. So she lived in Luton at this time. She retired to Luton. So I, between my, 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 my ex-wife and I breaking up, who we are, still wonderful and great friends today. Um, my mum passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, it's okay. I'll see you again. <laughs> I'll see you again. And one day when we were all getting, all the family came over and everything, and my sister was getting ready to come over from Miami. One day, I remember I was stood at the bedroom window and I was talking to my saint, I was talking to my sister, and it was another clear night with moon, with stars and everything. And I went, you know something, I'm gonna honor my mum's life. And I went, I'm gonna start a charity called the Lynn Batten Walk to Freedom. Oh my goodness. And that was 10 years ago. And it came to you just in that moment. Just in that moment. I, I didn't even know about um. What's that great man's name again? Long Walk to... Um, not Malcolm X. Um, what's his name again? Which the one? African, the African president. Mal not Malcolm. Oh, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. I did not even know about his book, The Long Walk to Freedom. I didn't even know about it. But that was what was placed in my heart. And so my mum... Yeah. Both my mum's passing away and the age of the walk to freedom are the same. I could never understand at the beginning why my mum had to go before my dad. But now I look at the amount of lives we've changed. Because of it, I get it. So I ended up living at my mum's when she excuse me, when she passed away. And then I ended up getting my own place and I decided to settle in Luton. And all I had was a recovery program and hardly any money at all. And this is how long how long ago was that? This is ten years ago. Ten years ago. 10 years ago because the first thing I had to do was legitimize it establish it and this is what I teach people to do in, in, in business development start your company with its name because now it is more manifested in this world than it has ever been yeah very true and so I, I, I hit the streets. I, I managed to, what happened was the, um, I was on benefits. Okay. And mm -hmm. 
they ended up sanctioning my benefits because I refused to go on to their work programs. Because they told me their work programs are to help people back into employment. And I said this, I am an employer. I am not an employee. And they said, well, look, if you don't go to this stuff, we'll sanction your benefits. I said, fine, do that. And That's so nice. I continued doing what I was doing and I appealed the sanction and I won it. Oh, wow. So that money that they backdated to me, I took and I got myself a little office in the center of Luton. And I went to the commissioner's office for drugs and alcohol. They just put a mask on, said yes, but did not want me in Luton. I went to the churches. They just smiled. But there was one occasion that I was invited somewhere. And I think it was that and something else that happened. So prior to that, um, nothing's happening for about a good year and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I've met one guy and he's really trying to help me who's on the streets, but I've got no clients, no nothing. And I just, I, I, I just couldn't give up. And the strange thing happened. There was a guy that moved into my block and long, long story short was, I didn't know he lived there. But someone told me he, he had PTSD and he had a few problems. He was in the war and this, that, whatever. And somebody actually owed me some money. And it was 150 pounds. And when I got the 150 pounds, because I knew the guy where he lived never had nothing. When I got that 150 pounds, the Holy Spirit went like this. I want you to put it in an envelope and put it through his door. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> right? And I was like, are you sure? Because in, during that time, my devotion, well, it still is, it was, it's very strong. So I said, okay. Because the thing was, me giving that 150 pound never left me with anything. So I put it through its door. But that day as well, it created this ethic in me. I will always give away more than I give myself because I trust God to look after me. And I've always been like that since. And I put this £150 through the man's letterbox. I, I even hear him come out and I'm watching him. <laughs> did, he, did, he, did he know that it was you? He did not know it was from me. Okay. I, put the I had the envelope and all I read on it was, God bless you. And literally three days after that, he moved out. No. But he's my witness. And after that day, everything just turned around. Everything turned around. I started getting clients. Grants started coming in. Started changing people's lives. Um, 
But who knows who that person was? You know, well, this is it. You don't know who he was. Was he a hidden saint? Was he an angel? Well, we, we don't know, do we? We don't know. Because Jesus said, when I was hungry, did you visit me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? You know, he says these things about himself after he's gone. So this is what I'm saying, same thing, agreeing with what you're saying. Mm. And then what happened was I'm rolling out this recovery program. And as far as I know, it's the new, you see, there's a difference between what you see kind of out there now, which is called recovery therapy. Okay. Mm. But I created, well, the Holy Spirit taught me how to create a recovery program. And as far as I know, don't quote me on it though, as far as I know, it is the newest recovery program in 44 years. As yes. far as I know, mm. I'm the only black man that's created one. <laughs> okay. But look, you're working for God. Exactly. So you have the good boss behind you. Exactly. And you will do things that yeah. no one could ever imagine because you put your faith totally in God and he can transform anything in an instant yeah so it's not surprising yeah so during that time I realized that families were sitting in groups who had a user living in the home they weren't getting any right support because each week i used to get invited to do talks and this that whatever but each week and, and go to groups and each week they were coming back with the same questions i don't know what to do and, and i and i went to god i took it to the mat again and i went to god and he went like this again look in your hands so out of the recovery program i created workshops and training for specifically people who were living with a user in the home but have never been a user themselves. And specifically for practitioners and professionals who engage with users but have never been a user themselves because there's a big barrier there. Yes, there is. This recovery program has now been accredited. Glory to God, it has been called the training program that changes the face of understanding addiction. Wow. Every single, again, glory to God, every single person that does that course that has never been a user themselves have all gone, I've got more in common with a user than I thought I did. Really? Yeah. Because this is what I asked God. You've got drugs addiction, you've got gambling addiction, addiction, addiction. I said, what's the common denominator? And he went, Mark, they're all human. And then he said, remember what my word says, you know, nothing is new under the sun. Why? So, Wisdom. So what, what the recovery, what the, what the training does it levels the playing field because everybody's human condition the way we are as people is the same yes so there's no difference between a user 
who, who gets their benefits and says, right, I'm going to buy food today. I'm going to buy food today. I've ended up at the dealers. There is no difference in the behaviours of, do you like buying shoes? Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I have there to admit no... it to you. Right, okay. <laughs> so there is no difference between you in the behaviours going, right, I'm going to go and do food shopping, but you still come back with a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. The behaviours are exactly the same, but the consequences are on different levels. Yes. And, and what I also found was that in addiction, there's a lot of myths. There are a lot of things that they've trained people about understanding addiction that just isn't true. So when you look at our program, it says we challenge conventional methods. And, and I've, I've been in conversations with, with major theologists around addiction and I've challenged what they've said and they've agreed. And what's your take on it with addiction? Because I just want to ask you something before you answer that, um, Mark, please, because I read this article Mm -hmm. And it was quite a few years ago. I don't know if you've read it. I can't remember and I can't find it now. And it was about a man who was addicted to drugs and to drink. And he came out of it and was recovering from it all. But he spoke about it on a very spiritual level. And how he explained it, which made absolute sense, that he was in a nightclub. And when he had a divine moment from God... And he had been awakened to it. And that's what actually made him give up, is that he began to see everybody in a completely different way because he saw things as energy. And he saw that different entities had actually attached themselves to these people. And it was very difficult for them to give up this addiction because somehow they were feeding off the energy of that person when they were in the grips of the addiction. Right. And I remember reading this, and I know there's very many different thought fields on this, and I remember reading it, and it was his experience, and I'm always interested in people's personal experiences. And I thought, you know, any form of addiction, whether that be shoes, or drugs, or whatever, I don't know, chocolate biscuits, whatever it is fundamentally, the core of it is there's something spiritually going on, which is what I found in clients that I deal with in my field of work, is there is always something deeply spiritual and a cry for help. Right, okay. But I don't know, I'd love to hear um, what you think about this. If, if you go onto our website, the, the, there's a monologue that I did um, called um, The Reality for the User. And one of the lines is this. It says, something has gone wrong deep within and it gets the better of me every time. Okay? Now, mm. I, 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 I'm going to have to, to... To explain it, I'm going to have to ask you two questions okay okay Mm. what is 
three plus two. I'm so rubbish at maths. I believe it's five. Okay. What is four plus one? Five. Okay. So we now understand that we can arrive at a truth in different ways. Yes. Okay. So mm. I like to call these little T's that help us to get to the big T. So what he's explaining is what happens when we come out of alignment in our spirits in a thing that's called a paradigm. No, not, sorry, Ooh, not a paradigm. Not a paradigm. The, the, the name has escaped me, but I'll give you the illustration of it. It doesn't matter. Just explain um, I, the principle it. behind it. Means, yeah. is, is everything moves in alignment, okay? Mm -hmm. from, from the winds blowing to the earth turning to, to the birds, every, every, everything works in alignment, okay? That's why there's so many birds right but they're not dead or dead on your doorstep right so everything mm -hmm. works in alignment you know the bible says god will feed the birds of the air and this that and whatever everything works in an alignment and that alignment and that and let's call it that energy okay is based on love which happened right in the beginning of creation so when we do or experience anything that is outside of love, okay, which it's all basis in fear, we then begin to go against it. Okay? Mm. So, what he's explaining there, mm. okay, when he's saying, you know, this is the three plus two and the four plus one, okay? I yeah. see what he's saying, but I understand it a different way. Right? But mm. what happens is in the recreational stage of using, because my life is now coming out of alignment, I am going to meet up with other people who are out of alignment. But okay. It's all okay. going to be normal to me because everyone else is doing the same thing. So does that mean, I'm going to ask you, because you're yeah. the expert here, Mark. Okay. This makes me think about something. I had a very good friend of mine mm -hmm. and um, he became a drug addict. Okay. And he didn't want to see his friends from before or his family. He basically hooked up with a woman yeah. and they began to sell drugs together. Yeah. And he was a businessman, he was respected mm -hmm. and, you know, all the trimmings, etc., the icing on the cake that come with all of yeah. that, having lots of money. Yeah. But suddenly he didn't want to see any of us anymore. Yeah. It was only people involved in that. Yeah. And to this day, I have to say, it made me sad and now what you're saying makes sense yeah it, it, it it's what he can accept because the shame the guilt and denial 
will will put you in a place of comfort where if everybody's like me, then I don't have to feel the shame, the guilt, and deny. Yes, the, I the understand. The word I was now. thinking about was providence. Oh, providence. Okay. Providence. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, providence so, will provide. Yeah. No, providence. Providence. Mm. It, it means everything working as one. And everything will be provided for? No. Do you mean like that? Well, yeah, in that mean? sense, yes. Yes. Yeah, in that sense. If everything's working as one, then everything will be provided for. Yeah. Because the Bible even says, if God will feed the birds of the air and colour the grass, how much more would he look after his own children? So do not worry about tomorrow because t- tomorrow's got enough troubles of its own. Yeah. And he says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God with all his righteousness, all these things will be added. So, so, so yes. Yeah. Okay. This is the same. I had a realization actually. Yeah. When, um, you know, when this whole lockdown first started and there's, yeah. there was all issues with getting food provided. Yeah. And, um, and I thought to myself, because I believe in God um, very yeah. much. And um, I was looking at the birds. Yeah. And I thought, well, there they are. You know, every day they wake up and every day it's provided for them. Exactly. You know, there it is. So exactly. if he can provide, literally what you said, if he can provide for them, why can't he provide for me? For his own children. Yes, and he did. <laughs> and did. Praise exactly. be to God, I have to say. You know exactly because because you know the Bible teaches this fundamentally um, that we should be in the world and not of it. Yeah. Okay. It, mm-hmm. it teaches us be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What the world doesn't understand that God's talking about neuroscience. God God's talking about excuse me um, unlimited. Um, beliefs, do you know what I mean? Which yes. do manifest things, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Art yeah. and it shall be given. You know, the, the world doesn't understand that um, that science is already is just catching up with what the Bible already said, but it was just given in a version that was understood then. But that's another story, okay? Yeah, that's another story that's for another, another day. Story. But there's truth, it, it, it's truth. And, you know, yeah. just, you know, has the famous sayings and the the wise people of the world and the sages and you know the hidden people that have all this knowledge and that have taught us through time um we the truth is truth whether people don't accept it doesn't change it from being the truth as they say it doesn't And, and jesus said this you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The, 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 the um, understanding of the word truth going all the way back actually means you will understand. Right. So, so in my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue this into what I do. So when I looked at how people viewed um, addiction, from my own personal experiences, I looked and I thought, that's not right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I had this gripe where you've most probably heard that most people in addiction have a traumatic past. Or if not, 
you must probably hear people who become addicts suffer trauma in the past. Yeah, that's a very common um, yeah. thought. H here's how I debunk that straight away. I go, Amy Winehouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You see, mm -hmm. people can only explain things um, or help you to understand things from the limits of their experience. You know, there is that adage of, you know, we see things, I say this so many times because I really keep saying this to myself. I, I, I believe it really, you know, we see things as we are, not as they are. Exactly. So what actually happened with understanding addiction was this. Addiction has no timeline of when it starts and when it finishes. There's no timeline. Why? Because we're all individuals. Okay? Mm. But somebody, right, had to do something so that medicines could be involved. Okay? Like yeah. maintenance prescriptions, this, that, and whatever. Okay? So, so now through a sickness, money could be made. So what some bright spark said was, is that it's because of past trauma. And I challenged it. Because the different stages of dependency are this. Experimentation. Then you have recreation, stroke, self-medication. Then you have occupational use. And then you have problematic stroke using just to feel good or just to get through withdrawal, okay? Mm. Yeah. So I was challenged by this doctor once and I said this, you line up a hundred addicts and ask them the first time you were introduced to a substance or a drug, which means something that changes the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. Ask every single one of them. The first substance, not your drug of choice, substance you took. Did you take it because of something historical? And obviously you're gonna get 100 people who say no. Because what happens at the beginning of experimentation is this. I am learning about something that I can trust the allurement of. And plus, if I don't have any major consequences, like when someone first smokes, you mm. have a cough, do this, whatever, anything, right? Not doing it again, it's not for me. Or somebody may cough up, have some minor consequences and still continue to practice how to use, right? Or yeah. you basically have none at all and continue to practice, okay? So, but for years, they never used the term experimentation. It always started at recreational use. Why? Because in recreational use is where you can pinpoint 
that if you have an historical trauma, a present trauma, living, um, losing a loved one, or falling into unemployment, or something like that, you begin to self-medicate with the substance you trust to um, make you feel numb from how you feel. So that's why they always kept it as recreational. Mm. Okay? But once experimentation come into it, because nobody starts using drugs perfectly on the off, you've got to practice how much to use, when to use, how much to put in, how much not to put in, when I'm going to do it, when I'm not going to do it. That's experimentation. So what happens now is when you get to recreation, if there is something from the past that comes up, you know from your knowledge of experimentation that this substance will release it from me, the pain. But what they forget is this. That only lasts for a short time. It becomes the primary for a short time. A quick because, fix. Sorry? A quick fix. It becomes a fix for a short time because of a little thing called withdrawal where I have to practice and use to feel normal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It really yeah. does make sense. Yeah. So that is what... Yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So where... So you offer... Yeah. A recovery programme. Yeah. And at what point, Mark, do the people come to you? At what point? Is it um, at the experiment stage? At, at which stage are you taking people on? And is it just drugs and alcohol or is it any addiction um the program is open to any addiction but its primary is for drug and alcohol addiction you might as well say okay we, we you see here, here's the thing okay 95 percent of people right don't seek help okay because of their drug use. Most people seek help because their lives are chaotic because of the drug use. So, but what happens is people are taught that you can fix somebody at the symptom, which is the drug use. But the reality is that people come in because the symptoms of my problems, okay, mm. um, are, are, are what's happening, which is the drug use. And the drug use is making me, my life chaotic, unmanageable, and powerless. And I always ask new clients this, why are you here? And they say, because I need to stop using drugs. And I say, that's not the truth. 
the truth is you need to learn how to stop using drugs by looking at and changing your lifestyle so where our program is different is that most programs or therapies teach a person how to obtain abstinence okay when they don't want to do it anymore but they have to make that decision they have to make they? a decision exactly because it's yeah it's pointless i think it it's impossible to help someone who hasn't made the decision to change exactly exactly haven't admitted in their own way that they're powerless mm. but what we have to understand this okay and and don't get me wrong when i say this i don't care what's out there that will free you from addiction i am all for it we're just another feather in the cap that's a little different but don't get me wrong even though i say that i know that there are programs that are out there that keep the fear of using from you using so you are actually going against and thinking against how you were created because neuroscience has proved that we have been created to love and people are living lives that i have to remain and keep my recovery in this bubble and i can't step out of it why because they've trained my belief system to say if i stop going to meetings if i stop doing this and i stop doing that i'm going to relapse well of course you are you're, you're actually creating a self-fulfilling prophecy it's obvious you're going to use when so I, what's when, different about your program our program is based on freedom how because we start with the why we start with helping you to understand and discover and learn and unlearn why you used when you didn't want to use and when you shouldn't use you still did mm. but what we also help people to do that other programs don't do is we help you to understand and support you to learn what to do when you do want to do it so that you don't we call it the art of fighting without fighting yeah there's a subtleness to it it's very yeah. subtle yeah because because we look at the human condition a lot of people no program looks at denial because because denial in itself okay enables the user to make a lie sound like a truth and a truth sound like a lie it, it, it actually oh what's the oh what is it it was just on the tip of my tongue but i'll come back to it okay mm. right there are a lot of things that addiction causes to the mind it reshapes it it literally reshapes it okay it causes you see you see denial is cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. like i know smoking is bad for me but i keep doing it 
But if I don't teach you that and teach you that that's what's going on, how can you ever beat it? We, 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 we don't just talk about tem triggers, we talk about temptations. We, we talk about fear. And right at the end of the program, do you know, you know what the thing that has kept clients over the 10 years, never having to go to a meeting? Uh, what, what are we at now? About 145 people that have kept them clean and free. Right at the end, we teach them about love. Because in, the, in independency, you fall out of love with life, people, and yourself. Yes, yeah. I've seen it with people. Yeah. And love is not in the equation. I've seen that also, that they yes. somehow become, people become allergic to the word love. Exactly. Reason is because now you're living, excuse me, in a substance user generated life, which in actual fact isn't real. Because its foundation is in fear. Do you know what though, Mark? This is just such an interesting subject. And, you know, thank thank you. No, no, no. I, I want to ask you a few more things, but sure. I am fascinated with it. I'm so sorry we've gone on so long. <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to. I want you to because sure. it is so needed, you know, for someone actually to explain it. And I'm learning from this as well. And it's really interesting. And yeah. what I wanted to ask you was sure. is about this void of love. Because okay. I found that I was talking to somebody actually the other day and they said to me, yeah. do you know that everything is based on fear in this world? And I said, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, no, everything is love. And they said, in the true essence, yes. But how many people are actually living the love? How many people are being the love? So... Um, I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, let me give you an example. Um, Three for two uh, in Tesco's, for example, that is fear. I said, well, how is that fear? Well, if you don't get it, you're going to be upset. So you need three. You can't buy two. You have to buy three because you're scared to buy two because then you don't buy the third one and then you won't get it. And then that's fear. And you know what? since that conversation um actually i think it was ben chai who who's um an entrepreneur and he was one of my guests i, and, I know the name i know yeah yes, I, I know yes. yes i know ben i know ben yes yeah yeah and he gave me this powerful insight like you're giving me a powerful insight mm. into this whole world he gave me this whole insight into this principle of fear yeah. and how we are actually very fearful as human beings and without this core without this faith um we're pretty much in a dire situation without love we are well what is life without love really and yet we are love we are exactly we are love we are this 
exactly. know, we search a lifetime or we search for people to love us. And yet the point is, I think, and this is just my belief, this is just sure. my opinion, is that sure. we are love. So You're right. if, You're if we, right. you know, and if we discovered this amazing truth, just woke up to this, you know, phenomena of we are love. Mm-hmm. So if we are love, everything grows from love. Exactly. So love when, is the only real thing in the world. I, I a thousand percent agree with you. Okay. And it's the yeah. only thing that gives us a reason for being, yeah. a reason for existing. Yeah. Because this is what I found, as I was saying to you about this friend of mine that totally became void of love. You were not allowed, actually, when we used to meet up with him, we would not be allowed to talk about love. He actually forbade it and said, don't talk yeah. to me about it. And I was distraught. And, you know, mm-hmm. we were saying to him, what are you talking about? And he said, no, I don't want to talk about love. That's all. BS. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can't reach you then. If I can't reach you with love, mm. I can't reach you in any way. No. Well, actually, you can, you know. Really? Like it, happens, it happens on a spiritual level, but that okay. is another story. That's that's for when you come back in another episode. That's for when I come back. I will <laughs> say this. It begins by you seeing him as you are. Hmm. We'll get into it. Can I we just do something very short? Yeah, of course you can. It's this. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Wow, I love that. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Many, many years ago, and I'm still doing it, um, we, we know we are spiritual beings living out of human existence. Yes, we are. So we're spirit, soul, body, and and that works in itself, okay? Mm. And I've been studying this because I asked God this question. What does it actually mean to be spiritual? What did he say? I'll tell you that another time. Well, we've we've just got to do another episode now because... On totally spiritual matters, that's for sure. You're coming back, happy. aren't you, Mark? I'm happy to do so. Excellent, excellent. Now, we have to come to a close, sure. um, sadly. It's been amazing. Sorry but, I just waffled on. No, don't, please, please don't be sorry. Please don't be sorry because it is, you know, to have knowledge like this firsthand from someone who's been through this, you know, extraordinary journey is a privilege so thank you very much for taking the time yeah. you know to honor 
you know, myself yeah. and the listeners with this, because I'm sure people are going to take so much from it. Now, how can people get hold of you, Mark, um, okay. to know more about what you do and if they want okay. help with anything? Yeah. Where yeah. can they do that? Okay. Yeah, because we, we haven't even touched on the whole element of working with young people, knife crime and gangs, but... Um, First of all, well, say I, it, I, say it. Tell me, tell us a little bit about it. So we we also have um, our young people's uh, primary programs where we work with young people who are at risk, who are in gangs, but do not access services at all. So we 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 do it like Jesus. We we he told us to go and be fishes of men. So mm. it's a process. So we have our outreach where we go and hit the streets and we go, excuse me, and we go where they are. Give me an example. So we, we're part of the um, multi-agency gang panel. So, so as, a, as a load of professionals who will get a report from somebody who's maybe been stabbed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So because he's been stabbed and then the police go, oh, we know he's a member of the gang. Okay. We then take that as a referral that this is somebody we need to reach out to. With, with oh, somebody okay. who's like-minded, with somebody who's been where they've been, it's all cold calling. You're, call, that, you're, you're sort of cold calling to save yeah. lives. Yeah, we just want to have a chat with you. Not here to offer you a programme, but you've come on our radar. And, and we give it the whole street lingo. Um, you know, because I will go out and, and, and go and hang on the corners and stuff like that. I make myself present, which, which the church does not do. If you're a body, you're supposed to be present. Um, yeah. So I, I, we go oh, out I, there. I like that. I like that. Yeah, we, we go out life. there and we, we work with them and we fish. We, we lay some bait, we'll take them out, we'll take them for food, we'll do this, we'll do that. We won't talk about changing life or anything. We just give them an opportunity to talk to somebody who's been there where they possibly don't talk to anyone. And we build relationships and then we begin to reel them in and then we begin to take them onto our other development programs. But we also provide wraparound support. So if they've been stabbed, we've got PCSD officer. If there's family problems, we have a social worker that can provide support as well because they don't like going out of, to other services. So we have it all in-house. And, and we've seen in the last two years, 15 lives change and more are changing. And do you have a team, Mark, that you work yeah. with? Yeah, I've got an amazing team of people. They are just amazing. And um, how many people are there that you, know, you work together with? At the moment, there's a team of seven of us. Okay. So we've got our outreach, PTSD, and our mentors, and I, and I take part in all of that as well. I, I have to say that we also have a residential, because Annie will kill me if she hears this, uh, we also have a residential house, um, and that's called Batten House, named after our mum, where we house homeless people and, and, and prepare them for freedom. And how do you spell that? B-A-T-T-E-N. Batten House, and that's in Luton. It's in Luton, yeah. In Luton, so, so, okay. So with the young people stuff, like I always look at the why. So I, 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 I research and I study of understanding the complex mindset of a young person that gets into a gang. So 
um, from that, I've been invited to universities. Um, I get called up by home office, places like that, to consult on stuff like this as well. Um, because again, we, we adolescence has changed and we need to understand the mindset and the root of the problem. And we've got to be talking to the government to help them to understand, stop trying to affect change at a symptom because you can't. Actually, you know, even, even with disease, you know, yes. or illness or sickness, you know, if we've got, I don't know, a sore throat, the point is not, you know, we need to know what's causing that. It's the cause behind it. Exactly. The why. Yeah. And, and, and from what I've learned, because I, I love all that kind of stuff, so much of it is buried in thought life. How do you so mean? So much of it. So the Bible says this. So a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So when you look uh -huh. at the when you look at the study of epigenetics, okay, if I constantly keep thinking negative stuff, that negativity then has a biochemical effect on my body, where it will release something called cortisone. Okay, this this is just the the basic stuff, yeah where it releases yeah. something called cortisone into my body. The stress hormone. The stress hormone. That stress hormone has the capability to bring on other illnesses. IBS, longer IBS carries on, cancer, so much. And so many um, things such as mental health as well. Exactly. Um, where uh, you know to change our thinking yeah. changes exactly. literally our lives and and, and and you know the thing that i've realized as well you know is that a lot of people don't understand or look at the ego in this okay. situation that's a very tricky subject isn't it the ego do, do you want to know why it's a tricky subject <laughs> i've heard you know i've heard from wise yeah. people, it has apparently 75,000 heads and um, the ego loves to be number one. That's a good, remember, remember what I said? Three plus two, four plus one, right? Yeah. Yes. But here's why it's tricky, because nobody talks about its origin. It's hard to work out what something does if you don't understand where it came from. And, I'm gonna, and this is the, this is the, the, the easy thing I'm going to help us understand, okay? Mm. The ego has, does this. Its only logic is confusion, right? Its mm. job is to keep you doing what you don't want to do, okay? Because mm. it doesn't want you anywhere near the truth, right? And yeah. what happens to people who suffer depression, anxiety and all this the ego does this no so as we're created as people yeah yeah we are supposed to think feel choose okay that's how we're set up right so what happens is right so we're either going to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing okay but mm. if we as we are created take a step back and think about what we're thinking about 
we're supposed to choose the right thing. But what happens when we don't do that? The ego does this. So in a normal state, what I think is what I feel, then is what I choose, which is best for me. That's in a normal state of love, because then I'm loving myself, not about to crucify myself. Okay? But when we choose to do the wrong thing continuously, the ego comes and plays it like this. What I think is what I feel. What I feel is what I think. What mm. I think is, and then it continues in this endless circle that now does not become light at all. And it will throw in anxiety and it will throw in fear. Because if you look at the root of anything outside the life, it's fear. Yes. So when we become depressed, depressed, it's because all I'm thinking of is what is wrong. All I'm feeling is that it's wrong. And then from what I'm feeling, I'm going to think about it's wrong. Yeah. It's a very interesting subject, Mark. And I have, you know, we, we must have you back on, honestly. And we could talk about this all day. You're all day long. And, and, really, and, you're and such an interesting person. Yeah. Here's what I have to say. Go on. Um, firstly, it, it, it is the Holy Spirit who I give all the glory. It is God who I give all the glory. I am simply the tap. The vessel. Yeah, that's all I am. What, what you heard today was him, not me. And the beautiful realisation is that you understand it and live it and that's yeah. a rare rare thing yeah. in this I, world I, I, I say to people i wouldn't have chose me <laughs> <laughs> well but i'm sure god to... has big plans for you and yeah this... I, was like, I, I wouldn't have chose me <laughs> <laughs> but he has I, his I, reasons and clearly yeah i'm glad god's got more faith in me than i have because <laughs> i am <laughs> And the Bible says he takes the foolish things and these things and that things of the world to confound the wise. And I'm like, yeah, you certainly did here because 99% of the time, I'm just a big flipping idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't believe that for one second. And um, there is a really beautiful story in this that how the soul finally, you know, your soul finally was free to do the calling of its life. And this is what I really, really admire about the story. And as I said to you, I'm very grateful, Mark, for you to come on. Thank you so much. Please come again. But before we end the episode, oh, yeah, where... To get in contact with me. <laughs> yes, yeah, where can people, because people need to get in contact with you, where okay. can they do that? So you can go to our website, which is www.walktofreedom.co.uk. Um, you can go on Twitter, which is walktofreedom, walk underscore to underscore freedom. Um, you can check our uh, Facebook, which is walk to, 
excuse me, walks of freedom built with the user in mind. Or you can get us on email at info at walktofreedom.co.uk. And because it's you, I'm going to say you can also get me personally. Um, <laughs> if there's anything or you have an, a challenge in the community with your young people or people in addiction, you can contact me on my email, which is Mark Clark, all one word, Clark with the E on the end, at walktofreedom.co.uk. And that is T-O for the two. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I am really, really in awe of everything that I have learned today. And it always goes to show that people have really deep stories in their lives. And to turn their life around, to turn their own suffering into something that is literally changing the world one step at a time is remarkable. What's your final word, uh, Mark? Inspirational, I always ask my guests this at the end, something inspirational for the listeners that has helped you in life. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. And with love, you will always finish strong. And on that note, I will say goodbye, but not farewell, because I definitely would like you to come on again, and we're going to do something spiritual. Yes, that would be a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything. And um, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Mark Clark. Absolutely fascinating. What a life story. And showing us, once again, that with belief in ourselves, no matter what cards life may have dealt us or not, as the case may be, there is always an opportunity for faith and hope. And that as long as we believe in ourselves, we can achieve great things. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until the next episode, take care and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik, and her books, music, and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk.